0: hello and welcome to the gifted life podcast where we have conversations about organ tissue and eye donation and transplantation you can always find us at thegiftedlife.org I'm Lori Steele.
1: I'm Joey Boudreaux.
0: And I'm Nyla Schwab. Coming up on this episode of The Gifted Life...
1: Well, you've heard of the Empire State Building, Times Square, Statue of Liberty, and other gifts of New York. Today, we'll be talking about the gifts of donation in New York.
2: Oh, I like that. Um, I'm going to be talking about how important it is to love yourself and the effects that it has on you and it also on others.
0: I like that. All that and more right here on this episode of The Gifted Life Podcast. Hang on to your hats. Here on the Gifted Life Podcast, we are excited to introduce you to our newest friend, Leonard Achen. How are you?
3: Very good. Thanks for having me.
0: Good. I hear a little something in your voice there. Are you from New York?
3: Yeah, born (laughs) born and raised. Born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens. you know, I live out in Long Island, so I'm a full full boat out here. I you know?
0: love it. And we're from Louisiana. We were talking about our our accents, getting ready to, to do this um, interview here on the podcast, having a little fun. So we appreciate you, Mr. Leonard. He's actually the president and CEO of Live On New York. Uh, Joe, you're familiar with uh, New York, and we always like to talk to um, our colleagues about best practices in the donation world, and so we're going to pick Leonard's brain today.
1: Yes, we will. Uh, you know, so as she mentioned, I, of course, I love visiting New York. It's one of my favorite places. Beautiful. Get to see the Empire State Buildings, uh, Times Square, Statue of Liberty. And then, of course, a couple of years ago, I got to go there and, and watch my uh, Dallas Cowboys whip up on the Giants.
0: Leonard, so. you fit that in? <laughs> yeah, I can't believe that. it. Can you imagine? Oh
1: man, no, but uh, I do. I you know like to work. Cl- we always work closely with our colleagues. We have very similar challenges in a lot of ways, and uh, and of course picking uh, the COO there, Chad uh, Easel's brain, you know, for years. Uh, when we have common challenges, is is always a uh, uh, you know one of my go tos. So. Uh, but as she mentioned, you are the, the president and CEO of Live On New York, and it hasn't been long, has it?
3: No, not at all. It's been about 10 months.
1: So tell us a little bit about uh, your, your background and, and what you, what got you interested in, in Live On New York.
3: Sure. I, I'm a nurse, a nurse practitioner. I was a MICU nurse, medical ICU, um, and came up in, uh, right here in, in Manhattan in uh, Mount Sinai. So spent a couple of years as a ICU nurse before you know, becoming an administrator, and stepping into operations, um, you know, and had a lot of different roles. So spent about 17 years there in about 11 different roles, um, you know, mostly non-clinical after leaving bedside, but on the business and operating side, uh, everything from capacity management, you know, admitting, OR scheduling, all the way through international business, and then made a complete pivot into communications crisis, PR, marketing, um, was fortunate enough to do one of the earlier re- re- rebrandings, um, you know, uh, here in New York in the region Mount Sinai, and um, then got recruited over to Hospital for Special Surgery as their innovation officer, and then was their inaugural president of the Innovation Institute, where I was responsible for commercialization of intellectual property IP knowledge, basically just moving it out into the community. So you know, clinical, operating, executive business background. Um, you know, I've done a lot of startup stuff and founded a digital health company outside as well. So I had had that DNA, um, and you know, was known mostly, regardless of the roles that I was in, to serve community. Never left my patients. Love my patients. Love you know the patients you know broadly, globally, and um, have done everything to continue down that path. And you know, just uh, you know, last uh, Q4 got a call uh, from a recruiter who you know just said, "Hey, uh, we're looking for somebody to look at this role," and I took a look at it and um, had a conversation and quite frankly, I think the word that I could remember um, is being ashamed. I think that the word you know that, that I'd associate to that was wait a minute. You know I've been in the healthcare and broader you know community game for you know now 22, 23 years at that time. Um, how did I miss this? How did I miss this as a nurse as an administrator? you know, as an executive, how did I miss this as as somebody out there in the community? And when I say this, I mean, how did I miss the donor side of what happens, the logistics, the clinical, the passion, the community, um, the giving of it? Not that I was completely unaware, right? But I was not, I was not as aware as I obviously am now, Um, you know, in the clinical settings and the hospitals and community we focus a lot on the receiving side, the transplant side, where that precious gift of life goes. Uh, we focus on that, um, you know, and and for me, it really hit me hard because I was an ICU nurse who cared for patients waiting for transplant. And I could reflect back in that moment, just, you know, 10, 12 months ago, I guess now, when I was being recruited for this, I could reflect back to holding those patients' hands when, you know, with their family around them or not, they were alone. Um, when they didn't get that transplant. And I felt like there was this massive gap through my entire career, my education, my training, um, various, you know, schools, degrees, education, roles, sitting as an executive for the majority of, of, of my career, um, you know, reporting to a CEO for the majority of my career. And and the, you know, the 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 opportunity to increase donation just not being top of mind right? Not crossing paths. Now, that may not be true for everyone, but I know, and I knew then that it was true for the majority of people out there. And I thought, well, you know what, if I was so ignorant of it, if there was an opportunity for me to go on the other side of the table, now that this has been brought to my awareness, and and if I was the offender of it, if I was the person who knew the least of it, if I was the person who maybe, you know, shied away from or didn't assist that nurse coming in from the OPO, 20-something years ago because I was too focused on my patient who was not brain dead but alive. I was focused on my other patient and didn't know, you know what, that other patient that I might be ignoring now because I see them as brain dead or I'm not aware or I don't know better, that patient is a hero. That patient could save eight people's lives. If I knew that then, if I knew that then, I would have dedicated my career and, and, and been as passionate as I am now to course, correcting that as much as I possibly could. So that awakening drove me to you know, continue the, through that process and ultimately have the you know the privilege and, and the honor to, to lead live on New York um, in, in a time of a turnaround and in a time where you know we're, we're making it happen. We're, we're out there with the community. We're out there in the hospitals. We are out there with the business community. We are out there with the media, and And we're making it happen We're we're correcting something that I can only reflect on myself about and say, hey, maybe there's more people out there where for cultural reasons reasons of just a lack of exposure or education. um, You know, through their through their training as nurses or physicians or clinicians or administrators, whatever it is, since I was on that other side, what can I do about it, how can I make it better. Leonard, so you are
2: would... hired. You got it. You <laughs> yeah. did a good job. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> Leonard, I was just sitting here thinking, oh, I could just sit here and listen to you. I think I'm just like listening. Yes. It's, you know, it's it's I so, love it. It's so powerful to hear you first admit or, or recognize or be aware that there is so much that you had missed in your career in, in the hospital about donation, even though you were on the front lines being part of that. And for you to step into a role and take what you didn't know, and now you're making that part of your mission, it sounds like, is um, is really changing the dynamics of your area that you cover, it sounds like.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I throw the statement around, I'll throw it around now, but, you know, do, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, right? When we're all waiting on that receiving side, we're praying and hoping and wishing with our family around us, right that somebody's going to make that decision for us but we're not thinking about it when we don't we're often not that's the big lesson learned and that's what we're trying to get out there that message to understand the powerful gift of organ and and, and tissue donation and and the impact it could have to help not not only the donor and their family live on but obviously the recipient live on
1: yeah, so, uh, Leonard, you and I have some parallels. Of course, you've got such a well-rounded experience, uh, but I do come from a nursing background. I was an emergency room nurse. I worked in, in the ICU and then and then in the emergency room for uh, seven years or so. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, there was an opening for LOPA, and uh, and I said, well, you know, one of my friends had, had worked as a recovery coordinator. Well, let me, you know, try it out. And I didn't, I just didn't realize, you know, once I started in a couple months, three months, six months in, realized the impact that you, that a nurse or a healthcare worker can have positively or negatively. Like you just being, like you mentioned, you know, you didn't say the word ignorant, but for me, I felt like I was ignorant. You know, I knew that an OPO was existed, an organ procurement organization existed, I knew LOPA existed but you know i just had the wrong ideas and and it wasn't until really dipping my feet into it and, and being a part of it and seeing how powerful the donation process is and how powerful being a donor is to that donor's family you know before i finally said oh, i'm like how how could i have missed this it was kind of the same same type of thing it's crazy as i hear you saying it it was the same feelings that I had 20 years ago when I when I joined into the field.
3: Oh yeah, big time, big time, and it's not even our professional upbringing, right? Let's, you know, even culturally, right? Being a New Yorker, the myths, the urban legends, all the, all the information that you get, you know, whether you're watching a movie and that's your only context for what it is that we do, that the community entrusts us with, right? That's all you've got, right? And you know, we 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 are both into two completely, you know, similar demographics and melting pots of culture and urban legend. Right. Right. And that's and a big part of this as well.
1: Yeah. And so so that's where I was going to go. So, you know, I know, you know, I, I work closely, like I mentioned, I work or work with uh, Chad uh, Easel, the COO there. And uh, we were sharing stories early on in the pandemic, first month of the pandemic. We're all trying to figure out how to make life happen through organ donation. And of course, with the with with you know, New Orleans being hit so hard with, with Mardi Gras, and New, and New York being hit so hard with, you know, that the population density. Um, it, it, we had the similar problems at the beginning, and I can remember at one point have him saying that there were only, you know, like eleven transplants in a period where there would have normally been fifty or sixty transplants, and because of lack of access, and because you know, COVID was was just overrunning. The, the the hospital and healthcare systems. So so going from that just a couple years ago till, you know, this past year, you guys, you know, had a, a really huge milestone hitting a thousand uh, transplants. That's a remarkable turnaround. So first of all, kudos to Live On New York, you guys there. Uh, for for making that turnaround and se- but secondly so what do you see you talked about the the you know kind of cultural aspects and different you know different melting pot what do you see there at, new- at, at live on new york in in New York City of course covering long island New York New york city itself and and all the kind of the surrounding areas right there what do you see as as your biggest uh challenges and and some of the things that you really try to have to focus on that are unique to to that area
3: yeah no great question you know so um, and, and again, very similar you know, areas that, that we're coming from, right? So it's interesting, um, logistics, right? Just the logistical management of the movement of this precious gift to those in need, right? We, you know, on, on, on any given day, we could feel like we have more in common with Amazon than we might with a hospital or a healthcare provider. In fact, right, many OPOs, at least in New York, we know that we don't practice medicine. We may be clinical we may be operational we may be logistic but but we don't do that right so the 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 strange thing about that is when you think of the medicine and science when you think of the blessing of figuring out how to take organ uh tissue um and 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 give it to another human being right and have them continue to live on when you think of the difficulty the science the research the you know everything that it took to do that why should somebody die because it's snowing outside why should they because of traffic why should they because of congestion right um you know the really hyper focusing and thinking about how to become uh you know and and create best practices around the logistical management of it i think is the future i think that's what live has 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 set the stage for we did it out of necessity i think covid no differently than covid accelerating technology no different than covid Accelerating, um, you know, just breaking down barriers and creating new efficient processes across every sector, not just healthcare, but business, logistics, travel, et cetera, and having a new way of doing things. I think that coming in a hard hit area out of New York, beyond our just resilience, right, it did two things. It created new pathways for us to accelerate and scale what we're doing. And we're in, in the stages of codifying that and I'll talk a little bit more about our 2022 data in a second. the other thing though that it did was it had a reawakening of community and what it means right for me the reason that you know I moved from HSS uh, you know an unbelievable organization here in New York a, a crown jewel you know in, in the healthcare academic community but the reason I did it was I, I was driving by 11 hospitals every day with my colleagues getting crushed seeing my community get hurt. And knowing that I can make a contribution, right? When that call came, all of those things lined up. It wasn't just that ignorance and that awakening, but it was aligning with the fact that I needed to make a larger contribution to understand and get back to closer, closer to community, right? So, so that's the groundwork. I think COVID accelerated that. I think we pushed through it, including, you know, um, right, COVID organs, right, patients and, and donors who had COVID that ended up becoming donors and us transplanting those organs. I couldn't even tell you how many of those took place. So creating new, not only logistics uh, patterns, best practices and pathways, but also pushing and forcing innovation um, out of necessity is I think what we're seeing happen. Uh, you know, in the first six months of 2022, and, and I keep on and on about how many changes we put in place, but in the first six months, Live On New York's had a 33% increase in organ donors We've had a 40% increase in organs transplanted and a 32% increase in tissue donors, right? We've brought a lot of talent in because, again, that awakening said, you know what? How many other hospital operators, business community leaders, um, logistical experts out there that could come into the OPO, right, and bring that, right? Diversity, more than race, color, creed, religion. Diversity is also not only about that here in New York, but it's also about getting industry experts from different walks of life and different experiences to come in and contribute. So we started to do that in December. We started to, you know, break things, iterate, fix things, see what worked, see what didn't, move the things that didn't on along, and scale what worked. Um, and, and that's what we're looking at right now. We've broke, you know, all our historical records here in New York um, over the last few months um, for donors, for organs transplanted and for tissue. Uh, donors. So we're feeling good about that. We don't at all pat ourselves in the back. We're not at all even proud of it. You know, how could you be, you know, when, you know, eight to 9,000 people woke up this morning still in need here in New York? You can't. Um, you know, I'm, I'm relentless about the, the pursuit of continuing to stack on top of that to change and save more lives. Um, and we're just putting the talent and team around it to make it happen. But yeah, that's what I think happened. I think we had a, a, a double effect, right? We had the forced Innovation. And then we had the heart, right? The heart side of it, the community, generosity, that thousand, that threshold we crossed, which was a paradigm shift at the end of the year for the staff and for the community and for everyone to say, okay, they passed that thousand. Um, And now we're scaling, you know, 12 to 1300 this year.
0: I love it. When you're talking to us today, you know, I take notes and you keep talking about community and, and reaching out. And that's part of uh, what I do here at LOPA is connecting with those who have walked the walk, talked the talk, um, and who are out in our communities trying to increase that registry. And so I was inspired uh, just by these heroes um, that you guys helped tell their stories, the heroes who died in the line of duty. And I think how powerful if you can tell one person's story and it could have this ripple effect uh, of impacting lives in a positive way down the line. I think you guys did a great job of getting coverage and then helping to tell those stories.
3: Yeah, no, thank you. And it was important for us all to make sure that that coverage was national and global, right? This isn't. There are there are no real, you know, lines between the OPPOs. There are no lines between our DSAs. I mean, we could we could still have them functionally, but it's our responsibility to help one another. Just just increase donation across the board. And you know, when when officer and, and detective, you know, Wilbert Mora. And, and firefighter Jesse Gerhardt, you know, had, had passed away, Officer Moore being tragically killed in the line of duty, um, we worked with and, and, it, and put a strategy together, and it was at the request of the families in both those circumstances to advocate, to get the word out, and the media was unbelievable. We had over a billion media impressions, a billion unpaid media impressions in about three to four months. And had calls from you know global global families, even in the hospitals, people who saw uh, what happened in India, who saw what happened in Switzerland, who saw what happened in Southeast Asia, people who said on the phone giving authorization, "I want my loved one to be an organ donor hero." Um, and and for me, it was a direct correlation to the impact of advocacy and media, which is again, while well, I'll thank you 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 all right now that you know, look, this call and just people understanding this will, will save lives, right? Media plays a critical role. And we were sure to thank them all. But yeah, that, that was, you know, over a billion and counting media impressions from that. Um, and again, it was the family who called and said, you know, can you do this? Can you, can you advocate, you know, what, what can be done? Um, so yeah, so Livon stepped up and, and, you know, it's, it's made an impact. It's made a significant impact.
2: Wow. You know, I I sit here and I I listen to, gosh, y'all have have had so much going on um, just since you came on board. And so y'all have made so many changes and the, the data is, is um, so impressive to hear that, you know, the lives being impacted. I've come from a mental health perspective and I work with the families after donation. So how are you working with your staff and yourself, you know, dealing with all the grief that you carry within your organization?
3: Yeah. So, um, you know, our staff is, staff is everything, right? They're the, they're the, I I get to draw pictures and wave my hands around, right? But it's, it's really the people um, surrounding me and the leadership team that get it done. And um, we have unbelievable staff here, you know, like you guys, right? We're incredibly resilient, have been through a lot, right? So uh, we're ready for anything in New York. I think that helps, but On the behavioral mental health side of it, on the you know resilience side of it, on the you know coping side of it, I appreciate that question. We're doing a lot. Um, You know, we even just launched an app to decrease anxiety uh, called Wise Therapeutics with our staff. Uh, We have an in-house counselor. Um, You know, the leadership team is always on alert to look for complex cases or things where we may have a signal or an issue. Um, You know, when I first started, I mean, you know, people. Uh, people is the number one priority. That's it. Period. Right? People structure and process with the foundation for our new strategic plan and roadmap to you know scale, changing and saving lives. And um, there, there's no nothing further from the truth that we are hyper focused on our people and investing in them. Uh, some of the things that we did, of course, was we projected growth because we knew that there would be changes based on the strategic plan, based on our roadmap, and we hired. So we hired a lot of people. Um, so that was one thing that that could help right away. We looked at how to increase the efficiencies around our orientations to decrease the time frame, so that we would have experienced people out in the field sooner because we anticipated growth. Right. So putting forty percent growth in six months on top of an organization, if you think about it, right? If if you were to hire people in January, and put them into six months orientation they're not entering the workforce and relieving that staff and creating that opportunity for reduction in that stress and anxiety until July, right? So we planned ahead for that and we scaled up and accelerated not only recruitment, but also the orientation so that the the, the reinforcements were coming. And yeah, it was it was a risk, right? Nobody's got a real crystal ball. Nobody really knows what's coming, but we took that risk to anticipate um, that based on what we knew we were going to do and what we were seeing and what the opportunity was that we would invest in our culture we would invest in our people we would invest in leadership and then we'd hyper focus on processes and and continued structure to be put in place to make sure we could accommodate this growth um, and we're not stopping right we're, we're doing that again and again and again um, because i do think that um you know of, of course and we all know it I mean, pe- people are the, the number one thing that we can invest in. And and what good is it if those people are burned out? What good is it if our staff is not taken care of or they're unhappy and our community trusts us with the most precious thing they could ever give? And and we're stewards of that. And we're just not doing the right thing with it. That's just not the right thing to do. So, um, so yeah, from the behavioral health, side, a lot of stuff, a lot of engagement, Um, you know, totally different culture. I think you'll see some things in the next month or two that'll, not only validate that, but some some really cool stuff that's happening in New York and with the staff. The other thing is partnering with um, you know um, organizations that may not be within the healthcare community generally, the business community, just community in general. You know, yes, having a, a vice president of multicultural affairs, somebody who's focusing on the six hundred languages and countless you know um, countries that our that our community represents here in New York. Um, and looking at the opportunities to increase donation, I mean, over the last 24 months, um, you know, just in Black donors alone, we had a r- approximately 150 percent increase in Black donors, right? I mean, you know, disbanding so many of these rumors out there about our, our region is critically important. Communication is important, right? If you have staff who believe that they are at an OPO um, that is uh, explicitly racist, right, or not serving community or doesn't care about disparities in care, right? Then what do they come to work to do every day? When in fact, right, one of the first things we did was looked at the data and showed our staff in 2021, you know, 65% of the recipients in our DSA uh, were non-white. And in the first three months of the data of 2022, that number is even higher. The complete opposite of what has been said and what they believed. So communication is important. You know, we talk about disbanding urban legends and you know all of these myths about what we do and what's true about organ donation and transplantation. Um, it's important that we over communicate and we disband those same myths that affect the brand, that affect how somebody feels coming to work every day, how how they put that ID on. You know, in the height of COVID, when it surged again, you know, a little bit in New York at the end of 2021 um you know staff couldn't even get into an urgent care site or an er to get tested so we had paramedics go to their home and test them with pcrs white glove so that they would feel comfortable their families would be comfortable that they would have accurate results not home test kits and they could get back to serving communities sooner right i mean so these little things um very little things are what count and make such a difference as opposed to going and spending an hour driving and then three hours online to get a test that might be 50 50 at best right these are the little things that we've put in place to make a difference and and it's what our community deserves because they trust us to do it
2: it does sound like you are are caring not only for your community but your staff and the staff at the hospital um gosh thank you for that like that was such a beautiful I don't know, explanation of what you've got going on over there that just drives home to the heart about, you know, at the bottom line is people.
3: Absolutely. And aligning people with the community we serve, we've taken a lot of measures to do that. At our board level, you know, our our executive leadership teams, 43% diverse, our entire um, workforce is 60% diverse and 60% female, right? When you look at the census of the communities we serve, it's critically important to align that. That makes a difference, right? It makes a difference. Um, So we very deliberately um, looked at that and started to do that, you know, to align board, executive leadership, senior leadership, staff, with the communities we serve.
0: Well, Leonard, we're going to let you get back to saving more lives. You sound like you're on a roll. We love that. We have an open invitation for you here on the podcast anytime as you uh, guys Appreciate continue it. to do amazing things. Please share. We love sharing our best practices with our um, folks from across the country, across the world. Uh, if you want to uh, delve in a little bit more and see pictures of what he was talking about, liveonny.org, liveonnewyork.org. Check it out. Great website as well. Uh, those hero stories that we were talking about those are highlighted there Um, just a a great uh, collaboration of things going on in New York and we appreciate you taking the time to share
3: thank you so much I appreciate the opportunity and you know can't thank you enough for helping us get the word out for, for everybody
0: All right, guys, we're taking a moment for mental health.
1: Yeah, and I love bubble baths, and I love me some wine, so tell me what they have to do
2: (laughs) Self-care. I will share that can be (laughs) self-care, but I think the word self-care has been thrown around a lot. You're right. So people hear, and they're like, self-care. So it's interesting. It's a coping skill, you know? So coping skill, what's that? It's just something that helps you get through difficult times when you need it. And um, I was walking inside to do the podcast, and I ran into a, a colleague, and he said, what are you talking about? And I said, self-care. And he goes, oh, I don't do self-care. I, d- I tell everybody else they should do self-care. And I want them to do self-care. He said, but I don't do self-care. And I said, why not? And he goes, oh, that's a good question. So anyway.
0: The, the it's thing, hard to find the time, Nyla. That is one
2: excuse. You're right. So like, what's your barriers? And because self-care is important. Um, there's a there's a quote that says, "Giving um, self-care is giving to the world and yourself, the best of you instead of what is left of you. Yeah. So when you really think about the people you love, um, the co-workers that you work with on a daily basis, sometimes you see them more than your family, when you're not caring for yourself, you're just giving them just a small piece of you. Yeah. But when you take time to love yourself, to take care of yourself, and it's action. Like, it's not just, oh, I'm going to go sit in the, I mean, it can be bubble baths, it can be yeah, wine, yeah. it can be a lot of things. Yeah. But Bu- it's- Wine
1: in the bubble bath. <laughs> yeah,
2: I like that. <laughs> and hey, smelly Joe. soap, okay. all those good things. Um, but, you know, like, what we want to do is think of what your obstacles are, or your barriers, or your challenges, why you don't. Take care of yourself. And most people say, oh, time. Um, Some people want to just feel like they want to take care of other people before they take care of themselves. Some people, um, it's workload. I don't know, Joey, what stops you from taking care of yourself?
1: I mean, it is time a lot of times. And and of course, now with a with a baby, with a uh, almost two year old now. Yeah, it's 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 challenging to find that time because I want to. And I guess part of my self-care might still be caring for her but i don't want to miss a minute of engagement with her yeah. like so i want to give myself oh, to her when i get right. back,
0: Good you daddy. know from
1: from the office and from working and things like that so so then it that time just for myself gets narrowed to that's hard an yeah. Hour yeah. Night, yeah you know yeah.
2: some
0: me time i could like that
2: <laughs> you know and it doesn't even mean it needs to be a lot of time yeah. 5 minutes here yeah. 10 minutes here it's finding things that work to help you kind of check into your body i mean we're really a mind, I don't know, country. Like we, we, it's all about what we're thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you think about way back when, when sa- saber toothed tigers would chase you down in the woods or <laughs> a forest or whatever you call it back then, I mean, your in body was a, yeah, your body was <laughs> alert to that. And then you've got all these philosophers that came in and it's all about the mind Plato and all these people who said you got to think men think and women think um but it's really a balance and checking in with yourself so if you find yourself agitated irritable tired um snippety I don't know whatever it is it's kind of stopping and trying to find something that can help help you what do you enjoy if somebody said I don't know I don't know what I want to do and it's funny because in grief it catches people off guard, right? So, mm. when I ask families around four months, what what did what do you enjoy? And they're like, I, I don't even know. And I'm saying, all right, well, let's think back. What did you enjoy as a kid? So, what did y'all enjoy?
0: Outside, jumping yep. the trampoline, fun, music on.
2: Yeah, you brought me back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, to even just go take your shoes off, walk around in your yard, that. That can have some healing effects on us. And we. what about you, Joey?
1: I mean, I, the same, exercise, ride my bike. You know, back then it was, it was all playtime, riding bike, outside. Everything was outside. You weren't connected mm-hmm.
2: to a device, right?
0: I feel right, like we're on right. a leash So now. it was
1: being it's, active. Yeah. Being yeah. active was it.
2: Yeah, yeah, moving. Mm -hmm. And sometimes putting that phone down. I mean, how many times do you all walk around and the phone's in your back pocket because you feel like you need it with you all the time?
1: I don't know the time that it's not. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Especially with kids. Even in bed. You don't want
2: to miss, like, what if
0: they need you, right? So I'm always like... Tucking it somewhere making sure i have that phone.
2: <laughs> yeah and and you know we forget that we're also we're never really bored because you're always like l- looking at your phone trying to catch That's up with true. emails
0: instant gratification text like something getting your attention and and yeah. sometimes it's
2: just something you do when you have a little downtime you go through your email mm-hmm. so you don't have you know double the time so when true. you put all that that takes up mind space mm-hmm. takes up brain space and then there's also you could be sitting all day long but if you're making decisions all day long yeah. by the end of the day they have studies on it that said um your your decision-making abilities are less because you have decision fatigue. So all these things that we think, oh, I don't have time for self-care, it's trying to make that time. And what I tell people in grief or in crisis when I'm working with – um with people um, in counseling, is you almost need an emergency plan, a reminder list, mm-hmm. and you can keep it on your phone. So when you kind of get in that funk and you're not sure how to get out of the funk, if you can start reminding yourself to go and look at that, you'll remember. Like, it, it, y'all paused when I said, what are something you like? What did you do when you were younger? Um Things you enjoy, if it's reading a book, buying a magazine. I like a coffee at, you know, I like to sit in my car by myself with a cup of coffee. That's just where I hide sometimes. It's its reminding yourself to go take a few minutes doing something to refresh your soul. So, and, and not feeling guilty about it. Yes, because yes. it's important. You don't want to give the people around you
0: the Less least. Of your, yeah of you mm-hmm. I like that alright thanks Nyla helped us think yeah. maybe you have a topic you'd like us to cover here at The Gifted Life simply email us info at In our question and answer segment today does each OPO cover each state so I said OPO our guest earlier said OPOs oh, uh, yep. right so
1: so yeah so, so some people say OPOs uh, you know a lot of us say OPOs as well and they both stand for the same thing, uh, organ procurement organizations. Yeah. And uh, he also had mentioned uh, DSA earlier, donation service uh, area. And those two are kind of married uh, together uh, historically. So, so back in 1984, NOTA, the National Organ Transplant Act, uh, came about, and uh, and a big part of that was kind of building the foundation of what the organ donation and transplant uh, world would look like in the United States and uh, with that of course each state or parts of states had every area had to have every DSA every donation service area had to have an OPO or an OPO or an organ procurement organization So that's why I say the uh, the don- donation service area and the OPO are, are married kind of so to speak so but, does it is it only uh, in one state, like one OPO in one state, and another OPO in another state? And that's that's not the case. You know, Louisiana is actually one of the fewer states that have the entire state covered by one OPO. Many of the other states have, uh, maybe they might have a, a majority of one OPO in a state, like like even in, in New York, the the majority of that population in New York State is covered by I Live On New York. But there are other OPOs in that state, and Florida has a number of them. Uh, Mississippi has uh, MORA, a Mississippi Organ Recovery Agency, as part as the greater part of the state, but certain mm-hmm. parts of the state, uh, just like Arkansas, uh, just like uh, Missouri, are, are covered by different OPOs.
2: How many OPOs are there?
1: So uh, there have been 58 uh for years and then uh 57 as one uh as two OPOs merged and they're uh it looks like they're in the process of two others merging so so probably by the end of this year they'll they'll be 56 Collecting a little okay. bit yeah. yeah
0: okay
2: so thank you Joey and if you have a question give us a call we love to hear from you the number to call is 504-648-3477
0: In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero,
1: Maria Markle. We learn about Maria from her family. My mother, Maria Markle, was filled with a light that lit up her community and everyone around her. She loved being a mom to my siblings and I, and a friend to everyone she knew. She was a beautiful soul who loved helping others. Her death was sudden, but we knew we needed to fulfill her wishes of becoming an organ and tissue donor. Thank you to everyone at LOPA for supporting my family and for giving my mother an opportunity to help others through these donations.
2: We pause and say thank you to Maria for the gift of life.
0: All right, guys, closing the books on episode 197 of The Gifted Life. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can register as an organ, tissue, and eye donor anytime at registerme.org.
1: We thank Leonard Achan for coming on. He is the president and CEO of Live On New York. How many amazing things that he and they are doing over the past couple of years. It's It was quite outstanding hearing him talk about all of the areas that they're focusing. Right, yeah. You know, logistics. Family, everything, uh, you know, gearing towards making life happen. 40% increase in lives saved just Mm -hmm. this year only.
2: That's really wonderful.
1: That's crazy.
0: Good story, guys. All right, the best place to find us, because we hope that you share the news, is on our website, thegiftedlife.org.
2: Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others find our podcast. On social, you can like our page on Facebook, the Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Pod. We ask that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. We hope you have a good one. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Nala Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.